Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, when Jesus fulfilled his ministry, he died on the cross. The Bible tells us as he did, he paid the penalty for all of our sins, that we were guilty before him. Every one of us, we've all sinned against the holy God. And as Jesus dies on the cross, he hangs there and the God, the father takes the guilt for his sin and my sin. And did I say his sin? That's a mistake. My sin, your sin, the sins of the whole world. He was without sin, which is why he could die for hours. Okay. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He is victorious Lord over death. And, and now the message for us is that if we will acknowledge that we have sinned against the holy God, and if we die in that condition, we're guilty before God, we'll find ourselves condemned to hell. If we will instead believe that Jesus is who the Bible said he was and that he did what the Bible says he did, dying for our sins, rising again, we can then put our faith in him to be our savior. Put our trust in him to forgive every sin and to give us eternal life. And so that is, that's at the center of everything that we believe and do, right? That is the gospel message. Well, the, the, the account in the scripture history tells us about that. And then afterwards, we saw the day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit entered the church in a new and different way that he had never worked with man before and empowering them. The gospel is preached. Many are saved there in Jerusalem. More and more people being saved as time goes on. But within that first year, maybe the end of the first year or into the second year, opposition arises in a new way and it arises against a man named Stephen. We consider him one of the first deacons. Uh, and he, but he was sharing the gospel and serving the Lord and, and the religious leaders of the day who were opposing Christ called him in and, and he spoke the truth to them, shared the story of the Jewish people and how Jesus was the Messiah. And they got so upset with him, they killed him. You know, they killed him. And the Bible tells us that there was a man there when these people took off their outer garments to stone Stephen, they laid those garments at the feet of a man named Saul. And uh, we see after that, remember how he had been uh, persecuting the church and was even going to other cities and foreign countries to find Christians and throw them in jail or have them killed and all that. And of course, God intervened. God stopped him, right? God appears to him. The Lord Jesus appears to him and he comes to Christ. He is converted. He is transformed. And he, remember, he immediately begins preaching the gospel. He has to, to escape Damascus and he goes back to Jerusalem and, and, and they finally let him in with the Christians because they weren't sure if this was real. But anyway, he's preaching and he's raising such a ruckus that they finally say, you need to go back to Tarsus for a while. And uh, so he did. And it says, and there was peace in the land. Okay. Uh, and so we looked at that story and then we see... Um, Acts chapter 10, which we were in last week. And you remember the, the Jewish Christians, those first, all the conversations. Let me just say this, you know, because I, 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 I don't know where you're coming from on this. Those of you who are watching and some of you who are even here. When we talk about the Jewish people from the scripture, Jewish people were the descendants of Abraham who God had promised to send the Messiah to. And of course, the Messiah for the whole world. But the Jews didn't get that. The Jewish people, by and large, thought that, no, this was for us. And so when they received Christ, and many of them did that, some in opposition, and we talk about the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they, like every other person in the world, have to make a choice to go with God or not, right? Anyway, so you may come with some prejudice against Jews, depending on what your background is. Uh, but Jewish people are like, man, this isn't in my sermon, but I'm wondering if the Lord's wanting me to talk about it. Um, just let me say, there's no room in Christianity for racism of any kind. Amen. There's no room in Christianity for prejudice against ethnic groups. 
uh, or how someone looks, anything. There just isn't room there because every human being is made in the image of God and yes, they have sinned and that messes up that image in a lot of ways. But every human being, Jesus died for them. How valuable is every human being to God? Okay, so we need to adopt that mindset as well and let that govern our hearts with respect to people. So when I, when I talk about Jewish people, all I'm doing is identifying the people that were in the story and, and, and that, that gives some context to what was going on. All right, so last week we saw that, that God had to, to supernaturally work to get the, uh, follow, his followers at that time to understand that the gospel wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for the whole world. And so we saw that in Acts 10 last week, how God did that with Peter. And Peter goes, wow, now I see. The gospel is for everyone, okay? So um, we're gonna see Paul, he, or Saul, he gets back in the story today. He was gone out of the story, but he's back in the story today. So let's take our Bibles. We're going to talk about biblical missions kickoff, what happened, another event that, that, that God had to bring about to change the way people were looking at things. So we have talked very clearly many times, we did uh, last week, I think, and other weeks, but these three things the Lord has led us as a church to kind of summarize what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Christ. We are to be surrendering to the Lord. We, we yield ourselves to him. Whatever God says is, we should do is what we should do, right? And if God says we shouldn't do it, we Thank you, front row. We should not do that. That's right. So we surrender to the Lord. We say yes to him. Whatever he would tell us, we say yes to him. And, and, and the kind of life we're talking about is we've already determined that we're going to say yes to him, whatever he says, okay? So we surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. Boy, that's a whole lot of things that have to go on. This is where we need to be in the word. We need to be praying. We need to be serving. We need to be fellowshipping. All of those kinds of things together, we will grow to be more and more like Jesus. And then we tell others about the Lord. This is where we share what God has done in our lives. And we share the message that other people need to hear. So let's go to uh, the book of Acts here, chapter 11, page 1268, I believe, in the chair that's there in, the, uh, in front of you, the Bible that's in the chair. And let me just say to you, the reason we give you page numbers is not so you can be lazy, Really, the page numbers are given mostly for the people who are here who are relatively new to us and don't have a Bible and don't know how to find these things. Okay? All right. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, and that's what I talked about that. Let me say to you, that was about within the first couple years of of Christianity, the things we're looking at here today are probably 11 years later. This is about 11 years later, okay? So when, when um, Stephen was killed and Paul was per Saul at the time was persecuting everybody and people were running for cover and they say, hey, we're gonna leave Jerusalem, and they did, and they, they went and they went, and as they went, we see this happening. This is like I said, 11 years later probably. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So wherever they went, they were sharing the gospel. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good example for us to follow. But it really doesn't capture what the Lord intended. Okay? Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenist is a word that refers to the Greeks or the Greek culture, the Gentiles, okay? So some of the people actually started sharing, and, and, and we know it's already, Cornelius has already happened, but they started sharing the gospel with people who weren't Jewish, okay? And so something happens here. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Man, don't we want that, that interesting phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. What is the, what are you, the big deal about your hand? First of all, I like when my hand is with me, <laughs> right? But it's, it's what does things, right? It's, it's, it's how you do things. And so that's when it says the hand of the Lord was with them. It means God was doing things in their lives. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So I'm sure some Jewish people, but a lot of Gentiles. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they heard about this. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So if you put a good person, a good person in the sense of good is surrendered to the Lord, growing to be like the Lord, telling others about the Lord. He was a good man, he, the man who's full of the Holy Spirit, a man who's full of faith, he believes God. It's not surprising that many people then were added to the Lord because the hand of the Lord was working. God was working. But this is a big deal. Think about this because, um, excuse me, all of a sudden there's something in my mouth. Where'd that come from? Can we cut that out of the live stream? No. <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, and it made me forget what I was saying. <laughs> All right, so, oh, so that's right. So this is a new thing. This is a new thing. Because even though the, the Jewish people who had come to Christ, been saved, realized, okay, the gospel does need to go to the Samaritans. Uh, we're okay, we'll do that. But then Gentiles, chapter 10, we see that. That's about uh, probably nine years after the beginning. Finally, it's going to the Gentiles. And here we see ourselves probably 11 years later that now there's a church that is just exploding. It's, it's, it's just beginning to overflow and it's mostly Gentiles. And so the apostles who were all very Jewish men who had had to go through this process hear about this and they said, we got to send somebody. So Barnabas goes and checks it out. And when he's there, of course, he encourages them and then he says, this is good. This is a good thing. All right, then Barnabas does something that takes this, it's just a huge turn in the, the history of Christianity. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. They sent Saul home to Tarsus and God did things in his life as we find out later in, in Paul's writings. But uh, Barnabas says, I know who needs to be here. I know who needs to be here. Saul needs to be here. And because he knew about Saul, Saul, though he was as Jewish as Jewish could be, and as, you know, had been committed to the law, so very Jewish, but he also had been raised in an area where there were a lot of Gentiles, and he had an education where he had been exposed to the Greek, the Gentile culture. We see him quoting some of their poets sometimes when he talks and referring to things. So here's a man who can bridge this Jewish-Gentile divide and make it, as we're going to see, Christianity. Okay? So, let's continue reading. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. By the way, I just should say, I don't think that this was just for the church at Antioch. This was also for Saul. God brought him there. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, sometimes that was a pejorative term in the New Testament, but this is where it first starts. And my guess is because these people were surrendering to Christ, is because these people had grown to be more and more like Christ. They were telling people about Christ, and so people started calling them what? Christians. Christians, in which Christians is how we say it today. All right, so that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Okay. So let's jump forward about another two to three years, two to three years to chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, 
Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now let's stop. So the Holy Spirit said, it's possible here that the Holy Spirit spoke audibly. You know, God did things in a miraculous way in the New Testament times, but it doesn't have to be that. It could have been just a growing impression, a clear sense of, wow, God wants this to happen. He was doing it in the lives of Saul and Barnabas. They were undoubtedly feeling a pull and does God want us to go and do something? And then the other leaders there were, were getting, hey, Hey, Barnabas, hey Saul, we're, we're sensing that God wants us to send you out to go. But either way, God is at work, isn't he? And it's very clear that it's God who is at work. All right, verse two. Oh, that's, let me read it again. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I, God, have called them to this work. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So they um, joined with God here, didn't they? God has said they need to go. And the church says, okay, we will send them. And they did. Um, Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Who sent them out? Who else? The church sent them out. And the Holy Spirit sent them out. This is God's, how he does things, okay? So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and the story continues for two years over this chapter and the next chapter. And they go and they preach the gospel, people get saved, uh, things are happening. So let's go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, the very, toward the end of the chapter, verse 21. This is as it's coming down to the end of this two-year period. It says, and when they had preached, Saul and, and Barnabas, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they go back, they're going on this trip and they're actually going up into Turkey and kind of making a half circle. Then they go back and they go back to these places where they preach where people have been saved and now they're helping to really establish that church. They're reminding them of things and they're even organizing it. Here's some elders. They they choose the men who have shown themselves to be spiritually mature and capable of leading. So he's establishing the church, right? It's one thing to start a church. It's another thing to establish a church. A church gets started, but, you know, it can go any which way. But when it's established, there's some things that are settled and there are things that people are doing that allows it to continue. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come together and gathered the church, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Big deal. That's a big deal, isn't it? So they stayed there a long time with the disciples, okay? So this is a biblical missions kickoff. I'll explain a little more what I mean by that in a minute here. So we've seen, tell others about the Lord. That's what we're all supposed to be doing all the time, right? Go ahead and go to that slide if you would. And uh, just remind ourselves, that's what we need to do. Not just me doing it, although we talked last week about praying every day, about giving you opportunity to witness Uh, Did anybody here remember to pray that every day? Anybody? I didn't. But I got about five days. I remembered it. And four of those days, I got to have a gospel conversation with somebody. Isn't that good? That's so cool. God wants to answer that prayer, so pray it. You say, I don't know if I want him to answer that prayer. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Okay. so they're telling us about the Lord, and this is what we're reading about. But let's, let's talk about it. It seems to me like the early church procrastinated on the Great Commission. 
Because when they got saved, they, stood, they, they obviously talked to each other there in Jerusalem, right? We feel comfortable because it's, it's mostly Jewish people here. We can have these conversations and then the land surrounding it. And they were pretty comfortable. They were very comfortable staying right where they were. And so what happens? Persecution arises and now they take off. They got to run. So they scatter, it says. And when they scattered, they took their faith with them. And they talked to people about it. That's such a good thing. But it is not what the Lord, in, it's not the full picture of what the Lord intended when he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be witnesses unto me in Judea, Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, they were just kind of just going wherever they were going. And it's really good they talked about Jesus, but they weren't going anywhere on purpose because they knew Jesus. You see the difference? But Jesus still they need to go. And so what we see happening here, this is even by the time we get to the church at Antioch. The only way the church at Antioch started is because when people were scattered there, they started talking. Well, the Holy Spirit led the church at Antioch to launch what we could call biblical missions. Because this is something different, isn't it? This is this church saying, listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit saying, look, we need to send people. In fact, you need to send Barnabas and Saul because I've got a work I'm calling them to do and we would call them missionaries, wouldn't we? Okay. So I had a little fun here this morning thinking about this because there's five leaders that are mentioned there, you know, Barnabas and two, three others and, and Saul. Saul's listed last, Barnabas listed first. So I thought in my head, okay, I always think in my head, by the way, I thought... Walt, Dave, Dean, Mike, and Scott in our church. Two pastors, the three deacons. And I thought, oh, God called the first one and the last one. So I told Scott this morning, Scott, we're supposed to go on a missions trip. <laughs> but do you understand that's sort of what it was like. It was out of their leaders that the Lord drew them and sent them. So we talk about this, seeing this idea of biblical missions. It's, it's different. It's purposeful. It's um, focused. It's all those kinds of things. So what do we mean then by biblical missions as we're looking at the scripture? In today's sermon, I want to inform you of some things. I want to encourage you about some things and I want to challenge you about some things. And so I think this will, these things will get us there. So biblical missions, what are we talking about? Well, the first one is this, that God calls people to go. Let me say to you that sometimes someone will say, oh, we're all missionaries. Well, there's a sense in which that's true because God has you somewhere and he wants you to share the gospel. But that's not what we're talking about. This word um, missions, mission is, means someone who is actually sent, officially sent. Okay? And so God calls people to go. He puts it in their hearts. Uh, I, I, I told you when I was last week or the previous week how that God had worked in my heart and just made me more and more desiring to, to go into ministry. And, and it was missionaries that God used time and time again to stir my heart and to cause me to think about this. So much so that when Glenda and I finally said, yes, we believe God has called us to go, we didn't know exactly what we wanted, but we enrolled in the missions course at the college because, you know, we thought maybe that was what God had us doing. Now, he didn't lead us to that. He changed that. But God calls. He calls people to go. And sometimes some people have this instantaneous experience with God where they know that wasn't me. It took me time coming to grips with what was going on there, right? So we see that here. The Holy Spirit put it in the hearts of Saul and Barnabas and also in the leaders, right? And the, the leaders part is important. Second thing is that the church confirms God's calling. Okay, we see that. The, the leadership of the church and the church as a whole, when they talk to them, they confirm this calling in their life. They could see it. It was what God was doing. You see, just because someone says, God has called me to be a missionary or God has called me to a pastor does not mean they're qualified to do that. Now, if God has really called them, he will work on them and get them qualified. But this is where we see qualifications for uh, church leadership in 1 Timothy chapter 3. God has called you to ministry. Great, let's look and see how you qualified. And if you're not qualified, let's work on it to get that call and your, your qualifications to match. But anyway, so the church confirms God's calling. They ought to be able to look at you and say, 
yeah, we can see the working of God. We, we believe that, you know, you're hearing right from him. Okay, the third thing, together God and the church sent out those called people as missionaries. They sent them out. Now, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But so God and the church send these missionaries. How important is this mission? I mean, husbands, if your wife sends you on a mission, how important is that? Pretty important. But when God sends you on a mission, that's way more important than that, right? And so God is sending them. And so they're confirming, they're sending them out to be missionaries. The fourth thing, missions, missionaries then, what do they do? They go out and share the gospel. And they do that in multitude of ways. And then they start, they start churches with those people who get saved. And then they establish those churches. Sometimes our missionaries you know, go someplace and it's a really hard place and they start, they get a few converts, they start a church and they stay there and work there and trying to get this church to, to grow and be solid so that when the missionary leaves, the church goes on. So this is what they're up to. Sometimes they end up staying with one church for a long time. Other times they plant and start many churches. But they not only start them, they work to make sure they are established. The fifth thing, churches provide ongoing support. Now, Go ahead and go to that number five, yeah. We don't see this specifically in our passage today, but I don't think the church said, hey, that's a good idea, see ya. <laughs> no, they prayed on the fast, and I'm sure they sent them with whatever they could, money-wise, to be able to sustain them as they went. And we see, as Paul writes later in the New Testament, he talks about churches who sent support to him along the way to help him continue to do what God is doing. So churches provide ongoing support. It can be individuals as well, but the idea is there's ongoing support comes to those missionaries. And then number six, missionaries return to the church to report to the church and to be refreshed again. Because you can exhaust yourself, don't you imagine, uh, out on the uh, mission field. For so many reasons, this missions field is difficult. It's a different language you have to learn. And even after you learn it, you understand how hard it is sometimes still to communicate, even though you've learned a language. Uh, and then it's hard on their families. They're often isolated, right? And it can be hard financially because what happens sometimes they're out there and a church that said they'd support them doesn't. And all of a sudden, their budget has taken a hit. I mean, all these things, and the whole time, they're out here fighting a spiritual battle because Satan does not want to let go of territories and people. He wants to hang on to them. And so they have all of that going on. And so they need to come back and refresh. And typically, the, the, most of the missionaries that I've had contact with, that's like every four years, typically, they come back and spend a year. Although that changes from time to time, depending on the circumstances, okay? And then... Number seven, repeat. Repeat as the Holy Spirit leads. Because there's more places to go. And we see the Apostle Paul with that. His first trip was like 1,200 miles and, and uh, two years. And then his later ones were much longer than that. Somebody estimated that Paul probably walked over 10,000 miles in his missions trips. So this is sort of a biblical, sort of, it is a biblical model of missions. Doesn't mean you can't do missions any other way. God doesn't say that, but this is the model that he put there. Okay, and so we try to follow. So how are we following this? We as a church, okay? And, and we are. But what I realized is most of you don't know it. That's on me. Because you have great reason to be encouraged that you are a part of something that is carrying out the great commission that God gave us and is making a difference around the world. So let's take a quick look at an overview here of some maps here. All right, so go ahead and go to the next one. Right now we have foreign missionaries who are actively serving in 17, 17 missionaries in 10 different countries. Okay, and so you can see them up there on the world. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. We also have retired missionaries. This is kind of strange to put up there, except that they have retired within about the last year, right, Dave? We had two or three like that, okay? And when we go, we choose to support a missionary, folks. We don't just, we support those people as they're following the Lord. And when it comes time for them to quit, they have to transition back. They may have, I mean, I'm talking about missionaries now that are, we've been supporting for 30, 40 years, 
and they're transitioning back and that's hard. And sometimes the finances are an issue and so we, we keep trying to help them until they are settled. And when they're settled, then we're able to take that money and put it back out there into the missions field, okay? But so this is why I'm showing you, we have retired missionaries in the last year. We had, they were seven missionaries in five different countries. And, and I think three of, two or three of them have passed away, uh, one of the couple. So then we have a really interesting category, restricted access nations. Sometimes they're called creative access nations. But they're nations where you can't go there openly as a Christian missionary. Most of these places are Islamic, okay? But you can't go there openly as a missionary. You've got to go with something else. We have one man that's out there. He's teaching his professor. We have another man who's working in a business. But it's, they're there for the gospel, for those people, okay? And so I'll, I'll talk more about them today, but I can't tell you who they are or where they are. I'll be glad to do that in person afterwards, but we're not going to live stream their location and identity to the world. Okay? All right. Then we just recently, you guys remember, we took on a third world pastoral training. It's kind of all in that area where they don't have the education. So they'll go in there and spend a week with them uh, on multiple occasions and just teach the, these pastors, you know, the, the doctrine and, and church how churches function and all that kind of really practical stuff. And so we have a missionary couple that's there and they reach multiple countries. And then here in the United States, uh, here in Massachusetts, go ahead, and in the United States, we have six missionaries, seven organizations. A little hard for you to see up there, but it's up there in New England and then they're sort of in the center of the state. And, and we're gonna take a look at these. And so total life source missions right now, we have 38 missionaries in 21 countries, okay? And that's um, not counting the ones that they go to any country and we don't count this. But did you know you were part of that? Are you glad to know you're part of that? This is what your church is doing. This is awesome. And um, it could be way more awesomer. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Now, in our day and age and the way things go, and it would have helped the Apostle Paul if this had been available to him, but it wasn't. Uh, churches um, of like faith will come together and cooperate to send a missionary out. Because if a missionary these days, they may need $80,000 or $100,000 to be where they are and to cover all their costs, of all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you want to give it, we'll share it. If you want to give $100,000, we'll add one, okay? But you understand what I'm saying? We can only do part. And so we cooperate with other churches. And, and mostly we do this with an organization called the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, okay? And so what this does, there are 4,000 churches, mostly in the USA, and they, they're cooperating to support over 700 um, church planning missionaries in 80 countries, okay? So we're part of that. And the missionaries we support, as it says here, have been vetted by the Bible Fellowship International. They say, are they educationally prepared? Are they spiritually prepared? Do they have a recommendation of their church? Are they financed? Do they have a lot of debt? Because we're not going to let you go if you have a lot of debt. All these kinds of things, right? And, they vet, and then they recommend to the churches. They're also a personal, um, help them with personal life issues because missionaries are people. They really are. Pastors are people. You're a people, I'm a people, we're a people, no. Um, so they help them, they vet them and make sure they're ready to go because it's gonna be hard enough to go without a lot of problems going on in your life, okay? And then they receive and distribute financial support. So we have a number of missionaries, the majority of our missionaries we support through the Baptist Bible Fellowship. We send the money to the, that organization and then they keep all, do all the records, they send it out, they handle the, the accounting stuff for them, they, uh, help them with the health insurance, all this kind of stuff, okay? So they serve the missionaries. And this is good. They, 100% of the support we send a missionary goes to that missionary. They aren't taking a cut of it. Now, those missionaries do have to pay certain fees because there are costs related to it. And we do that for them. We send, in addition to the support, like if we're supporting them for $150, we also send the fee. Do you remember what that is now, per missionary now? I don't remember. It's all right. Every month we add, yeah. How much? Well, that's, yeah, that's for the whole. I mean, how much per missionary, do you know? Oh, 
Okay, didn't know that. I learned something today from my sermon. All right. But the idea is, so we do help with that on purpose. So the missionary gets that full money that we send them. And then they provide lifelines for missionaries. Man, there's been accidents, bad accidents, and it's so good to have this mission office who, who interacts internationally and can get these people the help that they need. Also, so that is, now, what I wanna do, I wanna introduce you to our missionaries, okay? And I'm gonna to have to go through this fairly quickly, but I wanna introduce you to them. And you're gonna see something that I think is important for us to recognize where we're at right now and where we need to go. Okay, we have Japan. Bob and Mariko Barley. Uh, they have been there probably 35, 40 years. Okay, it's still there, still going strong. Uh, we have the Tim and Barbara Downs in the Ivory Coast, or Côte d'Ivoire, if you want to say it right. They also are part-time in Belgium because Ivory Coast was a Belgium, the Belgian uh, colony at one point. So they're ministering there. They've been there, I think... Again, probably 40 years, something like that. Joe and Sharon Flippin in Brazil, uh, they're still going strong. We took a mission, we went down there as a church, a number of us, in 1997 to a mission trip there. And he was old then, okay? All right, they're still going. They say these missionaries often serve until they're 80s. Okay, then we have Jerry and Liz Harmon in Puerto Rico. Interesting, Liz is from... Uh, East Longmeadow, Massachusetts. That's where she's from, that connection. In, in Korea, we have Mike and Jill Ivy. I, I put South here, asterisk, because they've also done some medical missionary work into North Korea. Okay? They have a Bible college there as well. Uh, many, many years again. Uh, David and Tanya Lyles in Peru. Uh, his kids are actually a little more grown than that now. Some of them married. But they've been there, I've got to guess, He's close to my age. Yeah, he's younger, but they got to be over 30 years, over 30 years. And then we have Ron and Francis Maggard in Guatemala, the main place, right? but they're all over the Caribbean area. They started in Cuba until they kicked them out and wouldn't let them be there anymore. And he's just an interesting guy. He, he does medical missions. He does this and he goes in multiple places and he'll change countries eventually after one. So he's really... Um, you know, they're serving the Lord that way. We have a single woman named Renee Thompson in Germany. And you know, it's tough to go to the mission field as a single woman. You're all by yourself. But anyway, she has, has, has just served so faithfully there, again, probably 30 plus years. Uh, and she, one of the things that she has done is she has developed curriculum for teaching. And she did it in German, but I, then she needed to translate it to English. And our Lori Pickering helped her to edit it. That's cool, huh? So uh, um, anyway, she's been there many, many years as well. In, in Paraguay, or Paraguay, uh, Clint and Rita Vernoy. And I put in Venezuela here because they served for a number of years early on in the Venezuelan jungles, serving some of the same kinds of indigenous people who killed um, Jim Elliott. And that story, if you know that story. Anyway, working there telling me how, yeah, you learn to lie there at night, soaking wet from sweat, and you learn to sleep. Anyway, that's a uh, And then Carl and Bonnie Clark. Now we're into the retired. Carl recently passed away. Bonnie is still kind of in, in touch there and trying to do some things there. Uh, in Sudan, Ron and Christine Enoch. Uh, they have, uh, see this, they've got to be over 40 years they were there. And Ron, because they served in um, Zaire before this, until it got impossible to serve there anymore, then they moved to the Sudan. That sounds like a safer choice, not. <laughs> but anyway, they served in southern Sudan, and Ron, over the years, had um, contracted malaria so many times. He was in a bad way, and it eventually affected his brain. He's suffering from significant dementia at this point. But he did that, because gotta go. Got to do it. Sam and Connie Gill were in Brazil. Sam actually passed away a couple years ago, but Connie has stayed active. She's gone down there for months at a time to Brazil and doing discipleship training. And, and they're kind of more of a church support missionaries rather than church planting. Okay, that was their deal. And then uh, Bob and Suzanne Hall from Mexico, they just retired a couple months ago uh, faithfully, but they're still, they live in Texas and they still go across the border every week to serve. This is what our missionaries do, guys. I've been so privileged because I get to spend time with them because they come through and I spend time with them. These people are, uh, this, by the grace of God, 
I know that, but you understand what I'm saying? They're the kind of people who go, wow, I'd like to be a little more like that. And then in Ireland, Bob and Kathy Zemeski, he passed away. He had such serious health problems, but he refused to come back to deal with them. He dealt with them there and just kept serving and kept serving. All right, then our restricted or creative access nations. Uh, we have a couple in Lebanon. They've been there, oh, probably 25, 30 years. Well, I'm not sure, it's close to that. Anyway, Lebanon is not really like a close, no, go back if you would. Lebanon is not really a closed country as such, but it's still, you know, in light of all the unrest over there, and it's not a Christian nation, um, and so they lie low, okay? He actually is a professor, teaches there, okay? Uh, then we have missionaries uh, to several countries over there. Uh, this is... Um, and they're right about ready to turn 80, and they're still doing this. They, they don't go in the country. They were missionaries in Iran before the Shah was deposed. In 1979, when everything went south there, they had to run with their family and leave. Okay? But uh, he's taught college since then, but now for the last, I don't know, 20 years probably, they go wherever there are Islamic people willing to listen. And so they go and they have major conferences in Europe, They've done some in Canada. The idea is there's a lot of people from Iran and Iraq, a lot of Muslims from other countries. And when they get out of their country and out from underneath that oppression, many of them are very open. And so they go places and they win people and they try to teach them. And then they also teach leaders with the whole idea they're hoping and encouraging that some of these people have to, when they go back, they go back as Christians. Really great ministry. And then in Bangladesh, uh, we have a couple there, family. We supported their parents uh, since like 1983. And a couple of years ago, they retired, and now we're supporting their son and his family there. And then we took on this couple uh, just in this past year, the teaching pastors in third world countries, right? We talked about that a bit ago. Now in New England, uh, we have our very own Amanda and Sergey Pankoff, right? And I put in Russia... Previous, where are you guys? Did I see you somewhere? Yes. You still have a heart for Russia, Sergey? Yes. yes, absolutely. And I know that he, he does videos and YouTube to connect with those people. And, and Amanda is now in a position here in the States. She's coaching uh, missionaries, missionary candidates. She's connecting with churches about missions, very much actively involved. All right. There's some organizations that we support. Uh, I already talked to you about the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. Uh, we also support here in central Massachusetts, you guys remember, we took on Stephen Shogi and Vessel Skate Park, okay? And then here in New England, we have a missionary that's to, working with children and teens through Word of Life, uh, Jeff and Kendra Smith. They actually, I think, were missionaries in Brazil. Wasn't that correct? And then they, because of health reasons, I think they are, are back here. And then Boston Baptist College here, prepares many, uh, pastors and missionaries. Yeah, these two characters down here go to school there. And um, Dave Melton, who was the trip leader for Israel that we didn't get to take, he's the president of the college. So that's clear. And then there's Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, which we also support. This is where Glenda and I went to school and got our uh, ministry training. And then finally, church planning in Massachusetts. Off and on, people are trying to start churches. And so every month we send a small amount, it's not a lot, but to the Massachusetts BBF. So it's available when needed to help those churches that are starting. Are you encouraged? Yeah. This is, yeah, that's good. We, we are part of this. Even if you didn't know it, you're part of it. And you can be more part of it, I'm sure. So real quick, let me just go over the mission fund status. What's up with that? So our currently monthly obligations are $3,775. And I, I hope I got these figures right. It's really close if it's not. Okay? $3,775 is what we send out every month to missions. These things that we've talked to you about. Okay? Um, and let me say this to you. If you do not on purpose give to missions, if you don't designate it on an envelope or online, if you don't do it, then you don't, aren't giving any money to missions. Okay? The only money we have to send to missions is what you, on purpose, designate to go to missions. That make sense? You understand? 
Our bylaws require that we give at least 10% of our income away to missionaries. Well, we've never been less than 10% with your guys' faithful giving. It's always been easy. All right, current monthly giving, $3,972. So, so almost $200 extra. That builds up the mission fund that allows us to, when we have missionaries come here, we often pay travel expenses, we pay hotel expenses. If they can't stay in the apartment for some reason, anyway, we do that. And our missions fund balance is currently $48,000 and a little more. Wow, we're all set. We don't need it, right? That's about a year's worth. And over the years, we have tried to maintain about a year's worth of support in case something happens and we can't send the support. We have money to send. And like when COVID hit, boom, all of a sudden a lot of things changed. We had money that we could continue to send. In fact, in the history of this church, and I can't speak for the years before I was here, but since 1982, we have never missed a monthly support to a missionary. That's a blessing, isn't it? And I have missionaries talk to us when they come and I talk to them. They just talk about how it's, they are just so encouraged that every month on their statement, there's Life Source Church, Life Source Church, Life Source Church. You'd feel the same way, wouldn't you? Okay. So, but it looks like we're all set. We're doing a pretty good job, right? Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. Okay. There are over 8 billion people in the world now. Isn't that crazy? Best estimates, I don't know how to get it, but it's the 870 million Bible-believing Christians in the world. About 10% of the world. I think that might be including people we might not feel comfortable with, but, okay, Bible-believing Christians. And that means there's still over seven billion to reach. Seven billion. And let me say something. This is as we think about as we go forward, as we transition away from the retired missionaries into adding missionaries, there's a place in the world that's called the 1040 window by people who talk about missions. The latitude, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north, okay, and across this part of the world. And in this part of the world, half the people in the world live there. So 4 billion people, almost 4 billion people live in those countries. Go ahead and put that up if you would. Okay, and this, this really means that there are 69 nations there. There's 83% of the unreached people groups, because there are sometimes whole people groups who haven't been reached with the gospel. 83% of those are in this 1040 window. Um, mostly they're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, animist, which is just a spiritism kind of thing. So not a lot of Christianity, and it's hard. How do you get into these places? Some of these places you can't get in directly. You have to do it, like we said, the other way is creative access. But as we think about going forward, and as, as these retired missionaries come off of our support, I th we need to look for new missionaries. Right? And I think, I mean, God can lead us whatever he wants, right? But I'm thinking we need to be looking to this part of the world, missionaries to reach there. And it's maybe missionaries who would have to do things very differently or creative, okay? So what should we do in response to all these things? Well, first, prayerfully consider becoming a missionary. I know Walt, you said that before. <laughs> but let me tell you, you need to do this. You surrender. Surrender to the Lord. And I'm being... Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm not there yet. There you go. Surrender to the Lord because if, if you're saying, well, I'll be a Christian, but I won't be a missionary, you are not surrendered to the Lord. You just aren't. You need to surrender to the Lord to say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do, however you want me to do, wherever you want me to do. Now, if you're married, this is a couple thing, Okay. It work in both of you, but that's, that's where we need to be. Now, is God going to send all of us to the mission field? I doubt it. Most of us probably not. But man, we ought to all be willing. Amen. If the Holy Spirit were to say to you and to us as a church, you should go, you should be willing to go, shouldn't you? So let me ask you, don't just think, oh yeah, if, but no, prayerfully consider. Say, God, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Is this what we're supposed to do? We're willing if that's what you want us to do. Because here's the deal. If, that, if, if he does want you to be a missionary, that surrender is crucial. If you make that surrender and he doesn't want you to be a missionary, it's going to do, be nothing but good in your life, that surrender. It'll apply so many other places. Then pray regularly for our missionaries. Pastor Dave talked about it in the announcements today. It does matter when we pray for them. 
You know, they're over there now in places that you and I have never been, might not even ever want to be. And, and they're seeking to be faithful to the Lord. And maybe today, this missionary just needs some encouragement. Oh God, please, our missionary over there in, in this country, would you please encourage them today? Would you please lead them, give them hope if they're struggling with that? If they're, if they're feeling great, lead them, God. I mean, God hears those prayers and answers those kinds of prayers, okay? You need to pray. And especially if you're just going through your day and all of a sudden something pops into your head about a missionary, pray for them right then because that's probably the Holy Spirit bringing them to your mind to pray for them. Okay, and then third, give to support our missionaries and new missionaries. Give, be a part of this. Now, please don't take it from your regular giving to the church because we have to stay in existence to support these missionaries, right? In addition to your regular giving to the church, I think everybody ought to give something. Can you scrounge a dollar? I know, you know, there have been times in my life where I couldn't scrounge a dollar. Thankfully, not very many, but this been there. But if you, right, give a dollar, give five dollars, get to, I've known people who give two hundred dollars a week to missions because they can and God has enabled them to, but give to support because you understand, don't you, that when we get to heaven and the missionary's done there and he's won these people and they've won these people and all that, and if you have given and prayed, that's on your list too. You get to be part of that. And I think, I think how exciting is it going to be to be in heaven and have somebody come up from somewhere in the world and says, you know, you don't know me, but I was saved under the ministry of this missionary and God has shown me that you prayed for us or you gave so our missionary could be there, right? Oh man, that make you cry, won't it, Judy? <laughs> so the idea is this, we need to come together and be aware of this. And so we're, every week we're going to be talking to you something about missions or something about your witness. Not a, again, not a long time, but part of the service just to remind us all to stay engaged with this. We are to be reaching the world and we can reach the world if we do it together, right? We will do our part and be faithful to that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, that you have given us this part. First, I thank you, Lord, that, that people were faithful to get this gospel to us. A man was faithful to follow your calling and come here to Worcester in 1971 and start this church because you led him to. Um, and I, we're thankful we get to be a part of this big and amazing thing that you're doing. Help us to see the significance of our praying. Help us to see the significance of our giving. And I pray most of all, Lord, that if someone doesn't know you as Savior, that they would make that decision today or ask questions if they have them. And then, Lord, that um, we would all be surrendered to you to do whatever you want us to do, even if it means going someplace else in the world as a missionary. For you are worthy of that from us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.